This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. The Kinescope Initiative Episode 122 A Sitcom Review in Chronological Order From the SFPP and Television Center, take it away, Mark. Thank you, announcer Bod, and welcome to the Kinescope Initiative, a sitcom review in chronological order. Let's continue with the sitcoms of 1984. The Duck Factory premiered on NBC on April 12, 1984, at 9.30 p.m. This short-lived series is best known as the first major role for Jim Carrey. He plays a young cartoonist who thinks he just got a dream job at a studio. Turns out that the head of the company, Buddy Winkler, has just died, leaving his vivacious new wife, Teresa Ganzel, technically in charge. The show's title refers to the main cartoon the rundown studio produces, The Dippy Duck Show. Real-life voiceover legend Don Messick is there to provide the voice for Dippy Duck. He's done cartoon voices for so long, he can't remember what his real voice sounds like. Real-life comedy writer Jay Tarsus plays a comedy writer, Jack Guilford plays a veteran animator, Clarence Gilliard Jr., a storyboard artist, Julie Payne, the business manager, and Nancy Lane, a sarcastic editor. We covered Teresa Ganzel in episode 110 for Teachers Only, Jay Tarsus in episode 107 for Up All Night, Jack Guilford in episode 73 for Paul Sand and Friends and Lovers, and Nancy Lane in episode 95 for Angie. At age 10, Jim Carrey decided he was ready for showbiz and wrote a letter to Carol Burnett telling her so. At one point, his family was homeless, and he wound up as a teenage janitor. Carey began performing comedy in Toronto at this point. He made his way from open mics to paid shows and then auditioned for SNL and was rejected. He was later discovered by Rodney Dangerfield and began opening for him. A few minor film and TV roles followed, then came Duck Factory. He survived that and moved on to films Once Bitten, Peggy Sue Got Married, Earth Girls Are Easy. Carey returned to TV to join the cast of In Living Color, which introduced him to a larger audience. It also got him films and eventual accolades. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask with a Golden Globe nomination, Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever, The Cable Guy, Liar Liar, another Golden Globe nomination, The Truman Show, a Golden Globe nomination, Man on the Moon, a Golden Globe win, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, another Golden Globe nom. Post-Living Color, there were more films, Bruce Almighty, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a Golden Globe nomination, and a series of unfortunate events. He seemed to slow down after that, doing guest TV roles in the odd film before 2018's Kidding, another Golden Globe nomination. Of course, he recently stepped into the role of then-President-elect Joe Biden on SNL. Don Messick had a face you are unlikely to recognize, but if you watch cartoons in the last 60 years, I can virtually guarantee you've heard him. Messick initially planned to be a ventriloquist and made money doing so, 
before his father was electrocuted taking down a flagpole. He joined the army in the special services, performing for the troops at the end of World War II. A local radio show introduced his voice to Dawes Butler, who recommended to Tex Avery that they hire him for his MGM cartoons. When the team of William Hanna and Joseph Barbera left to start their own studio, they took Butler and Messick with them. Starting in 1957, Messick voiced Ruff the Cat while Butler did Reddy the Dog in Hanna-Barbera's seminal Rough and Ready. From that point forward, Messick was responsible for the voices of, and this is hardly a complete list, Pixie of Anne Dixie fame, Major Minor of Snagglepuss, Boo Boo and Ranger Smith of Yogi Bear, I don't know, Yogi, Mr. Twiddle of Wally Gator, Dr. Benton Quest of Johnny Quest, Mr. Peebles of Magilla Gorilla, Bam Bam of the Flintstones, Adam Ant, Multi Man of the Impossibles, Gloop and Gleep of the Herculoids, Kabooby of Shazan, Falcon 7 of Birdman, Blip of Space Ghost, Snork of the Banana Splits, and Muttley of Dick Dastardly and Muttley. <laughs> As you can see, most of these characters are either side characters or second stringers. After doing many animal sidekicks, he moved into the big time as Scooby-Doo, which he did for decades. He's also continued doing dozens of side roles along with narration jobs. Oh, and he was Papa Smurf, Ratchet of Transformers, Astro of the Jetsons, Hampton J. Pig of Tiny Toons, and Droopy. All in all, 284 IMDb roles, two of them, both Scooby, decades after his death in 1997. Julie Payne was also a voice actor. After dropping out of college, she traveled to Haight-Ashbury during the Summer of Love and became a member of seminal improv troupe The Committee. This led to bit parts on films and TV. She would go on to Leo and Liz in Beverly Hills and Curb Your Enthusiasm, as well as voice work on The Tracy Ullman Show, but not The Simpsons, Garfield and Friends, The Garfield Show, Rain Man, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, and films THX 1138, This is Spinal Tap, Uncle Buck, Misery, and American Wedding. This was Clarence Gilliard Jr.'s main foray into comedy since it was mostly known for dramatic and action work, a regular or recurring on Chips, Matlock, Walker, Texas Ranger, and the upcoming The Nostradamus Mission. He also appeared in films Top Gun and Die Hard. The Duck Factory was co-created by Alan Burns, who started on Rocky and Bullwinkle before moving on to The Mary Tyler Moore Show, and Herbert Klin, who worked on Mr. Magoo, so they had real-world experience to draw from. The opening and closing credits were animated, as were segments of the show. It aired right after Cheers, but that wasn't enough. NBC's decision to air the episodes out of order, so at one point Carrie's character becomes a producer but later isn't, sealed their fate. The show ran all of 13 episodes, moving to different time slots while doing so. Found the pilot on YouTube, it literally starts with Carrie's character arriving in Hollywood on a bus. He watches Winkler's coffin leaving the studio, and he tags along to the funeral. The writing is sardonic, and the animation is wacky. Carrie is way too earnest.
ER premiered on CBS on September 16, 1984 at 8 p.m., the show that made George Clooney a star. Not. Clooney appeared on both versions of the show, which were otherwise unrelated, with a few exceptions. Elliot Gould stars as the lead physician in a Chicago emergency room. Chicago was the site of both ER series, who worked there alongside his private practice to help pay alimony. Mary McDonald, who also made a guest appearance on the later ER, played his boss. Jason Alexander played the hospital administrator. Shuko Akune, the receptionist, with their boyfriend played by Bruce A. Young. Conchata Farrell, Lynn Moody, and Corinne Borer played nurses. George Clooney played an EMT and nephew to Farrell's character. Now, we covered Conchata Farrell in episode 75 for Hotel Baltimore, Lynn Moody in episode 71 for That's My Mama, George Clooney in episode 97 for The Facts of Life, and we'll cover Jason Alexander when we get to his more famous sitcom, ER, was his first regular TV role. Although he starred in film versions of two sitcoms, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, and M.A.S.H., this was Elliot Gould's first regular TV role. He had guest appeared on Fairy Tale Theater the previous year. He spent much of his early life on the stage starting in the 50s with Broadway roles in Say Darling, Irma LaDuce, and I Can Get It For You Wholesale, where he met future wife Barbara Streisand. By the mid-60s, he had moved on to films, The Night They Raided Minsky's, the already mentioned Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, and M.A.S.H. He was nominated for an Oscar for the former and Golden Globe for the latter. Little Murders, The Long Goodbye, California Split, Nashville, Harry and Walter Go to New York, A Bridge Too Far, Capricorn One, The Muppet Movie. Later, there was a mix of smaller movies and TV roles. Nothing is Easy, The Law of the Desert, Sessions, Getting Personal, Friends as Monica and Ross's father, Baby Bob, Kim Possible, Voice Work, Mulaney, Ray Donovan, Doubt, Nine JKL, and Carrier. He would also appear in a supporting role in the Oceans franchise. Mary McDonnell spent a long time on the stage as well, mostly off-Broadway, winning an Obie for Still Life. She starred in the Heidi Chronicles on Broadway. Like many of the other actors, this version of ER was her first major TV work. A few years later, her work in Dances with Wolves got her an Oscar nom with Passion Fish and a second nom two years later. Other films? Grand Canyon, Independence Day, Donnie Darko. McDonald also went on to a lot of TV movies and regular or recurring roles on High Society, The Later ER with an Emmy nomination, The Battlestar Galactica reboot, The Closer, a second Emmy nom, and her sequel, Major Crimes, and Fargo. This was Shuko Akun's only regular TV series. She did a lot of cartoon voice work as well. Bruce A. Young was involved in the writing team for the ER series. He made a number of TV guest appearances and starred in UPN's The Sentinel and made appearances in films Risky Business, The Color of Money, Basic Instinct, and Jurassic Park 3. Corrine Borer has enjoyed a long TV and film career, starting with commercial and modeling work. Early films Zapped and My Favorite Year led her to ER. She would go on to regular or recurring TV roles on Free Spirit, Man of the People, Double Rush, Partners, Rude Awakening, Veronica Mars, Murder in the First. Borer played the mole of Flash villain the Trickster, who was played by Mark Hamill in the 90s superhero series, then reprised the same role in the current CW show. ER was actually based on a play. Akune and Young reprised their roles in the TV show, 
and was produced by Norman Lear's production company. There's also a quasi-TV spinoff vibe. Moody's character was established as the niece of George and Louise Jefferson. The show was more of a dramedy based on the setting. Despite all the talent, both current and future involved, scheduling it against the A-Team did the show in, running only a single season. You can only find a few clips online, one of course featuring Clooney. The opening theme is an R&B track, while the video shows the cast from a patient's point of view. premiered on NBC on September 16, 1984, at 7.30 p.m. Meet Punky Salil Moon Fry, a seven-year-old abandoned by her mother while grocery shopping. What a cheery premise. Despite this setback, the spunky, punky soldiers on, finding an empty apartment and moving in. Grouchy apartment manager Henry George Gaines finds out about it, and they begin an unlikely friendship. Punky also gains a friend and neighbor Sherry, Sherry Johnson, whose grandmother, played by Susie Garrett, is a nurse. Punky's other friends include Geeky Allen, Casey Ellison, and stuck-up Margot, Amy Foster. Eddie Deason plays the apartment maintenance guy, with Dodie Goodman and T.K. Carter as her teachers. We covered Dodie Goodman in episode 93 for The Facts of Life. So Lael Moon Fry got into showbiz by age four doing TV movies and guest roles. At age eight, she beat out 3,000 other child actresses, including Melissa Joan Hart, who she would later co-star with on Sabrina the Teenage Witch for the role of Punky. The role made her a star, but also pigeonholed her for years. She continued doing guest roles and TV movies, moving later into voice work, The Secret Files of the Spy Dogs, The Proud Family, Bratz, Planet Sheen. As noted, she did have a regular role on Sabrina the Teenage Witch in the early 2000s. Currently, she's starring in a punky sequel series about to begin airing on Peacock. George Gaines was born in Finland in 1917, the year it gained its independence from the Russian Empire. He was raised and educated in France and later served in the Royal Dutch Navy in World War II, seeing a lot of action. He had been training as a singer and eventually got work on Broadway. Wonderful Town, Bells Are Ringing, Gypsy, Any Wednesday, Gigi. Gaines spent the 60s and 70s all over TV in guest roles and several films going into the 80s. Harry and Walter go to New York, Nickelodeon, Altered States, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, Tootsie, To Be or Not To Be, before getting the role of the Commandant in the Police Academy franchise. Punky Brewster came along at that time, later recurring or a regular on The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd and Hearts of Fire. He left the business in the early 2000s and passed in 2016. Cherry Johnson got into showbiz via her uncle, David W. Duclon, a screenwriter and producer. He pitched the punky concept to NBC and got a role for his niece. The role was named after Johnson. 
Shortly after the punky run, she went on to another successful sitcom, Family Matters, playing Maxine. Duclon was again her employer. After that, she made several minor films, did some guest spots, and moved into producing and writing. Amy Foster won the National Tap Dancing Championship, then discovered on Star Search as a singer at age five. Punky was her only major live-action TV work as she went on to voice work on Pound Puppies and Lucy on the later Peanut specials. She left the business in the mid-90s. The poster child for geekdom, Eddie Deason, originally worked as a stand-up before switching to acting with his first role on the MST'd Laser Blast. Only three months later, he appeared in probably his best-known film, Grease. Grease actually was filmed first. He was typecast as a nerd, which served him well in 1941, Zapped, War Games, and Grease 2. He only appeared in eight episodes of Punky Brewster. He asked to be let out of his contract due to difficulties with a live audience. He moved to indie and cult films after that, although his nerd cred was high enough that people come up to him even today about his role in Revenge of the Nerds. Deason is not in the film. He moved into voice work, Mother Goose and Grimm, Duckman, Life with Louie, The Weird Al Show, Pigs Next Door, Dexter's Laboratory, Oswald, Lloyd in Space, Kim Possible, The Polar Express. Today, he writes for multiple pop culture sites. T.K. Carter started in TV guest roles as well as films Corvette Summer, Hollywood Nights, Seems Like Old Times, The Thing, Dr. Detroit, Runaway Train, Rush Hour. He played a genie on Just Our Luck and did voice work on Turbo Teen, Gem, and The Twisted Tales of Felix the Cat. He was a regular or recurred on Good Morning Miss Bliss, The Sinbad Show, The Steve Harvey Show, and The Corner. While Sherry Johnson's uncle created the Punky Brewster concept, NBC chief Brandon Tartikoff named the lead character a tomboy he had a crush on as a kid. In return, Punky's dog is named Brandon. The show never did well in the ratings, but NBC kept it for two seasons due to a single demographic. It was number one in girls 2 to 11 years old. Because it aired on Sunday, football games could easily preempt parts of episodes. Rather than disappoint the kids, multiple 15-minute episodes were created. The tenuous concept of a kid essentially living on her own and unofficially monitored by an adult came to a head in the second season in a five-part storyline. Henry ended up in the hospital after his photo studio burned down, and Punky was staying with Betty and Sherry. A social worker got word of this and made Punky a ward of the state and sent to a wealthy family. Like all sitcoms, it's all resolved at the end, and Henry formally adopted Punky. Second season also dug deep into the very special episode, one involving the Challenger shuttle disaster, which had just occurred. NBC canceled the show at the end of the second season, where it got caught up into first-run syndication, with the show run five days a week on weekday afternoons for two additional truncated seasons. The show and characters matured a bit over the run, but the show ended with Brandon the dog getting married? There was an attempt at a spinoff with T.K. Carter's character, actually a backdoor pilot with his character being introduced. The pilot did not go to series, and Carter became a punky regular. The show was more successful in an animated spinoff called It's Punky Brewster, featuring the original cast doing the voice roles. A new Punky Brewster with Fry and Johnson as adults is about to premiere on Peacock, which is where I watched the original pilot. I avoided this series like the plague when it was on, and I can see 
I was right. The theme is treacly. The dialogue is too. Fry is annoying and precious. I think I need an insulin shot after this. This is the kind of show that made the Disney Channel a massive hit. It also helped to make parents obsessed with keeping an eye on their kids. More of 1984's sitcoms in our next episode with a milestone sitcom that has recently become, to say the least, problematic. AnnouncerBot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Well, I'm filing this episode in the archive. Tune in next time.